We're very pleased to welcome Dr. John H. Walton to Nova Scotia as this year's Hayward Lecturer. Dr. Walt is the professor of Old Testament at Wheaton College, where he has been since 2001. Prior to this, Dr. Walton spent 20 years teaching at Moody Bible Institute. His education culminated in his PhD from Hebrew Union College. This past summer, he celebrated 40 years of marriage to Kim, and they have three grown and married children. John is a servant of God, a disciple of Christ, and submits himself to the authoritative word of God. John, please come up and share with us the message the Creator has put on your heart. What is the Bible all about? What has God always wanted? Why did He create us? We have 20 minutes, so let's tackle these issues one by one. In the talk last night, I introduced the idea that Genesis 1 and the early parts of chapter 2, the seven days of creation, are all focused on the idea that God was preparing a place where he could come and make his home among us, dwell among us. And basically, I'm going to suggest to you that that is indeed what the Bible is all about, God's presence among us. That what God has always wanted is to dwell among his people and be in relationship with them. And that God created us for that very purpose. Now I don't know what to do with the last 15 minutes. Let's track it. Let's track it through Scripture. Genesis to Revelation. This idea of God with us. So it starts in the seventh day when God rests. And as I spoke last night, God resting is not a matter of relaxing or having leisure time or being exhausted. God resting is a matter of him taking up his residence in order to rule. And I would direct your attention to Psalm 132 as he's talking about his choice of Zion for his dwelling place. In verse 14, he says, This is my resting place forever and ever. And here I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. That's what God wants to live among his people, to rule here in this place. And that's what his resting is about. God takes up his rest, his residence, his rule among us. But of course we all know that it didn't stay that way. In Genesis chapter 3, because of decisions that Adam and Eve made, deciding that they wanted to be the center of order, the center of wisdom, deciding to do it on their own, they lost access to the presence of God. That's what Eden was. It was the presence of God. And we shouldn't think of chapter 3 as talking about paradise lost. It's presence lost. Losing access to the presence of God, the very reason He had created us, His very desire to be among us. 
now shattered on the shoals of our disobedience. And so we find then that the plight is established for humanity. And the whole rest of Scripture is tracking how God responds to that. We find that right from the start, people miss it. They recognize what they've lost, yet they're still not willing really to turn. They have been exiled. But in Genesis 4.26, when it talks about Seth, just one generation after Adam and Eve, then people began to call on the name of the Lord. That's not a phrase simply indicating that they were praying. Calling on the name of the Lord is an expression used numerous times in the Old Testament to talk about invoking the presence of God. They wanted it back. What would the pathway back look like? And so Genesis 1 through 11 begins to track through how badly things went when we tried to make ourselves the center of order. And we get to the end of that section of Genesis to the Tower of Babel, which I spoke about on Monday night. And we find that that tower is not being built so that people can go up to God. What are they wanting? Well, they want God to come back down among them. And that's what ziggurats were for in the ancient world. To provide a means for God to come back down and take up his dwelling, his residence among his people. And so they wanted to provide a way for that. And so they built this huge tower reaching to the heavens so that God might come down. These ziggurats were built with temples next to them. The idea was that God comes down, enters the temple, and is worshipped. Sounds like a great idea. And God did come down. The text says that explicitly. God came down. But he didn't like what he saw. Why not? It looks like it's going the right direction. Well, as we discussed on Monday evening... The problem was that they wanted to make a name for themselves. And that's in contrast to wanting to make a name for God. If they're thinking about having God in their presence and worshiping Him, it's about His name. It's about exalting His name, lifting up His name. But no, they, they, they had other intentions. They wanted to use this to make their own name great which would be accomplished if God's presence came down and then if they pampered him and provided needs, which in the ancient world they all believed the gods had, that the God then would respond with blessing and favor and prosperity and life and everything would be good for them and they would make a name for themselves. And God said, nope, that is not how this is going to go. Sacred space would not be reestablished on their terms. It would be on God's terms. And it's no surprise that Tower of Babel is in chapter 11, and then we kind of flip the page to chapter 12. Because the Tower of Babel represents a failed human initiative. But chapter 12 reflects God's counter initiative. 
How is God going to establish his name? How is he going to reestablish his presence? And he does it through the covenant. The covenant is not just kind of an administrative document. The covenant initiates a relationship between God and a select group of people. It initiates a relationship, not just to have a relationship, but to start to forge a relationship by which he will come and dwell again on earth in the midst of his people. The, 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 the grand climax of that initiative is found at the end of Exodus, when they've built the tabernacle according to specification, and God comes and dwells among his people. The covenant has in mind God's dwelling. Israel is to be a kingdom of priests. And God says repeatedly, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. That's that relationship language. And I will dwell in their midst. That's kind of the recurring theme all through this period. And God gives Israel the Torah. We sometimes call it the law. I think that leads us a wrong direction. But nonetheless, it's the Torah. And we think that the Torah is kind of the main deal, the main event as God came down on Sinai. And I would suggest that it's not. That's kind of the warm-up band. You know, that's to get things going. The main event is the instructions for building the tabernacle. Because lo and behold, God is going to return to earth and dwell among his people. Something that hasn't been seen or realized since Eden. And I can just imagine the scene I'm making this up, but imagine the scene of Moses gathering the people around him. They've built the tabernacle, and the next day is the big day. And he says, do you really understand the gravity of this moment? He's coming back. God is returning to earth to dwell among his people. And he has given them the Torah so they know how to live in the presence of a holy God. Because we don't want this Eden thing happening again where God has to leave. And so the Torah is kind of the, the prelude to presence in God dwelling among his people. And so we move on from the tabernacle to the temple as God's presence is in the midst of his people. I'm not going to take the time to read 1 Kings 8 in Solomon's dedicatory prayer, but it picks up the same elements. You are dwelling in our midst. You will be our God. We will be your people. We will come to you, and you will hear our prayers. All of this, this is what God's presence is all about. But of course, we know that the story is a sad story as we move from the building of the temple through the monarchy period as we find that the Israelites are, are faithless, they're not, they're not observing the Torah, they're not being faithful to the covenant. And we finally get to the back end of the monarchy and we read in Ezekiel 10 of his vision, that horrible moment when God's presence leaves. God's presence leaving the temple, leaving Israel, lost again.
And Israel is destroyed. Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple is destroyed. But yet, even in the midst of that, there is this hope for something that's going to occur, to bring restoration. I'm reading in Ezekiel 34, verse 30. He has just talked about all of the things that God is going to do to restore his people Israel. And he says, Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, with them. And that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. And so there's, there's still this hope for God's presence to return. And the prophets talk about that hope. And it gets all woven together in that special name given in Isaiah chapter 7. Emmanuel. You know what it means. Think about it. God with us. Because that's what God has always wanted. To be among his people. And so, time flies on. And uh, the restoration isn't following the path that they expected. And we have to jump over to the New Testament. And of course, right in the initial pages of the Gospel of John, the passage we had read for us this morning, that incredible statement. And so the Word became flesh and made its home among us, dwelt with us. The glory of God incarnate in the flesh now among us in ways that had never been understood or anticipated. This is the true definition of quantum leap as God's presence actually comes in the flesh among us. And so Christ comes. And throughout his ministry, he comes preaching the kingdom of God. And that kingdom of God is all about how we can enjoy partnering with God in his plans and purposes as he dwells among us. And then, of course, we get to the end of all of that in John chapter 14, the upper room. And remember that Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may also be. Relationship, presence, and the Great Commission. I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Can we miss this theme carried so strongly across the Testaments? If we start to lose track of it, we should look carefully at Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, the disciples are in the upper room. And what happens? God descends by means of his Spirit. Keep Babel in mind here. They were building the tower so that 
God would come down and dwell in their midst. And here we sit in the upper room, and God descending by means of the Spirit to take up His dwelling, wow, in them, not just among them, in His people. God descends and resides, providing for relationship through the blood of Christ. And don't miss it in Acts 2. The tongues is reversed. Instead of them not being able to understand one another as at the Tower of Babel, now everyone can understand in their own language. The covenant is fulfilled. The relationship promise. Read Acts 2, 38. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. That's relationship focused. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. That's relationship focused. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's presence focused. The promise is for you. What promise? The covenant promise of God's presence living among them. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. All those dispersed. For all whom the Lord our God will call. And so we discover, as Paul makes clear to us, that we have become the temple. In 2 Corinthians 6.16, For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live among them and walk among them. God has planned it from the start. It's why He created us. It's what God has always wanted. And we find that it comes to its grand conclusion in Revelation 21 with new creation. Verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with people. And he will live among them. They will be his people. And he will be their God. And he will be with them. And be their God. And wipe away every tear. Can we have any doubt? This is what the Bible is about. This is what God has been up to. This is an Emmanuel theology. God with us. So what does this mean to us? Why should we care? What should we do? Well, we'd better care because this is what God has been about. And he has been revealing himself as a God who desires to dwell among his people, who has created us for this purpose. A God who desires relationship, who wants us to partner with him, participating in his plans and purposes. Whether that's the covenant of the Old Testament, the new covenant, the kingdom of God, These are God's plans and purposes. And what we are to do is to come into God's program. Not on our own agenda, not for our own name, but to come into God's plan because His name is to be lifted up. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, not mine. Your will be done, not mine on earth as it is in heaven. 
the name of God lifted up. Lifted up not only in our praise and worship, lifted up in our lives. God has made us a holy people. It's a status He has given us. We are holy because God said so. And our job is to live into that identity. He has identified us with Him, and therefore Him with us. And therefore, our job as we participate is to live into that identity and be His people. We need to practice His presence even today, as that wonderful book by Brother Lawrence talked about. We are called to an identity, forging an identity as God's people, not just individually, as God's people, as the church, forging this identity. So let me end with a quick story. I was at a conference maybe 10 years ago, and uh, it was a fairly select group. I was delighted to have been invited to be there, and um, pretty, pretty small group, you know, maybe a couple dozen people. And um, I noticed as I arrived and started, you know, kind of shell-shocked looking at name tags. Wow. And um, noticed there a scholar who I'd long admired and just, you know, just thought, boy, be nice to, to just shake his hand, you know, and, and to, 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 boy, this is just incredible. Well, they broke us into small groups at one point, and sure enough, this person was in, in the same group that I was. And I, I, I confess I didn't listen as well as I should have because I just kept looking across that, that circle of chairs and saying, I don't believe I'm sitting here in the same room with this person. And when the, the small group ended, how surprised I was that he came bounding across the room. There's no other word for it. Bounding across the room, takes my hand and starts wringing it in a very enthusiastic handshake and saying, I'm so glad to meet you. I've been looking forward to it. Do you think we can get some time together? And I said, well, I'm kind of busy. You know, I'll look in my game. I'll talk to my people. Talk to your people. No, no. Wow. He wants to spend time with me. Okay, now, zoom to the big picture. The God of the universe has come bounding across the cosmos, not just to shake our hand, but to embrace us as his people. And said, do you think we can get some time together? I'd like to really get to know you and be in, well, he knows us, but to get in relationship with you. And yet we hold back. God created us to be in relationship with us. His plan was to dwell among us. To be with us. He our God. We his people. It's what God has always wanted.